calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week we might make you have some trust issues. It's episode 413 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. You know, last week we had no guests. This week going completely the opposite direction. It's all guests. There's no really good nerd news this week. Not a whole lot to review. I will be talking about that severance finale at some point, though, but I want to be able to do it with spoilers, so I want to give that a little bit more time. So that review is coming. But this week, a whole bunch of great guests joining me. Going to talk about the brand-new movie, Agent Game, with our girl Katie Cassidy is going to be on the show this week. Aiden Canto going to join me as well to talk about that. Congrats on that second season renewal of The Cleaning Lady, too, by the way, Aiden. Also... Going to be talking about the unboxing of Isaac. If you're a Binding of Isaac fan, Ed McMillan's going to tell you about all the great stuff you can have in this new subscription service. Going to be talking about Young Justice with Brandon Vietti and Greg Weissman and a brand new show that I really think you're going to have some fun with on the CW host about Asif Manvi. I'm going to talk to him here coming up. But first, let's talk about Agent Game. How can we not start things off with the amazing Katie Cassidy? We'll talk to her next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Echo Callum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. You know, every now and then, I'll do an interview, and, and, and you know, you, you introduce the person, and it's always very nice. But at this point, if you don't know who she is, then why are you even listening to the show? Because she's been on the show a couple times in the past. We love her. It's Katie Cassidy. Katie, how you doing? What's up? How are you? Doing very, very well. So, I gotta say, Katie, I'm watching Agent Game, and I got some, I got some Black Siren vibes when I was watching Miller a little bit. So do you feel like there was any similarities there for you? Not as much because 
based off it being a grounded real person versus the Arrowverse in comics. So there is a little similarity, I guess, but I think Miller is her own powerhouse and her own brain and, you know, she's sort of like her own island. So I guess that's the similarity. Black Siren was kind of like her own island. But obviously the fight training and weapon training and the action came in handy because when I we signed on to this movie, you know, I was like, who's the stunt coordinator? And I was like, great, I need to talk to him. Hi, I actually know how to use weapons. So can I do all of the weapon, all of the things? Like, I don't need a stunt double because it's not like I'm jumping off a building. He's like, dope, yes. That's not a hard sell. Wouldn't be a hard sell for me. I could tell you well, that right now. That moment, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but there's like a moment where I'm doing some with a gun and then I like do this dope ass move and like, mm-hmm. it was really cool. That's like sort of where that came from. That wasn't, but it made it into the trailer and I was like, yes. Of course it made it into the trailer. Come on, come on. That's not the only good moment either, by the way, but I won't, of course, I'm not going to spoil anything. It's not my job. The, the one thing about Miller though, is there was, there's so much about her that, that, that I think is really, really intriguing. What do you think her biggest asset is? Her brain and her computer knowledge and her, ability to she observes right she's like she like and it's funny because when when we went to Georgia I sat down and had when I met Grant the director so me Katie Cassidy when I'm like I'm a a bit like Miller in the fact that like I love I grew up playing video games I love Call of Duty my dad had me breaking down one of my dads breaking down and building up computers I love technology so like I could definitely relate to the character personally, but so I was pitching to, well, I was just going through my process, I guess, after reading the script and analyzing the character and coming up with backstory. And I was talking with the director and I said, Katie Cass, so I often like paint, <laughs> I often pace and tour, I call it the pace and twirl. So I have this amazing place, home, oasis, I call it. But I pace and twirl when I'm like creatively thinking of ideas. And I was like, I don't know what it is, but something about Miller. And I just kept doing, there is like, she has to have like a something that it's a distraction from her brain. If that. Oh, I noticed it. No, I totally noticed it. I was going to ask you about it. And now I'm glad I picked up on it. Good. I have not seen the movie yet. So I'm glad you have. Well, it comes across. I will tell you that right now. So, (laughs) so the pace and twirl is definitely, definitely a part of her character for sure. Yeah. It's more like the finger. I don't know. Just like a, I don't know. It was like this vibration thing. Mm -hmm. No, totally. No doubt about that. She's not the only woman kicking ass in this movie, though, because we also have Visser. And hey, what was it like reuniting with Laurel's former BFF there, Annie? Um, I love Annie. She's the bomb. And it was fucking awesome. Like I when I found out that we were going to be working together, I called her immediately and I was like, yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I was like, girl, I thought I was going to have to hold out the fort by myself as the only woman. But thank you. I love, and I'm so glad to work with her and be reconnected with her. This is no bullshit. This girl is awesome. And I'm not somebody who's sitting here who's going to be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to say this, but I'm going to say this because I'd probably just be like, yeah, they were nice. Anyways, so how about them uh, Dodgers? (laughs) But Annie's actually the shit. She's dope. It was really fun. I didn't know she had all that, all those moves in her either. I'll be honest. Cause we didn't get, we didn't get to see her do that. I had no idea. No idea. I just want to say, wait to the universe, wait until... Just Annie's gonna like, she's like stepping into her place, like her power right now. Mm, I'm so proud of her. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. But I also love the team that you guys have got going on. You've got Miller, Kavinsky, Reese, 
might be one of the favorite things for me about the movie. So how did you all find such a strong chemistry between the three of you? As actors, we all, everybody has their own method or call it method, call it whatever, to each their own. A way of bringing these characters to life. And I guess when you've got a group of actors, really talented group of actors who, for, at least for me, like, I, don't, I guess I just, I don't let the fact that Mel Gibson and Dermot Mulroney are, I'm working with them because that's so fucking cool and I can want to fan girl out, like I do. Not getting in my head and just reminding myself, like, we're actors, we're, we're all, we all, I think, also work similarly. We, you know, they, they're professionals. So, yeah, and I was just honestly just happy to be around other creative, awesome people. <laughs> Well, the one thing that I think is really cool about this movie, too, is because, you know, you hear the term trust is earned all the time. But that's so true of Agent Game in so many ways. So how do you feel? How did you feel as you're reading, go through the script? There's all these twists and turns going on. What were you thinking? I need to read this again. <laughs> <laughs> and again, because it was a lot. I can't wait to see the movie because you know what? I trusted the director, Grant. Grant, you better not fuck this up. <laughs> I trusted you. <laughs> I know you won't. I'm kidding. Just let me have a little fun with people. <laughs> Again, he, he doesn't. So I could, since I've seen, it's weird for me that I've seen it and you haven't. But yes, he, he did a fantastic job. Yeah. Can I get a link? Who do you know? <laughs> uh, can you send me a link so I can watch it with well, if, if you? Well, if you, if you get a, well, if I, I would watch it with you and I'd have known. But I know we could have done it live. There like, you go. We could have done. We could have done like a like a watch party I type of situation. I could have like. I should have been hired as the. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Next time. We'll next do it for time. the. We'll do it for the sequel. Marketing. So, you talked about Mel, and there's no shortage of big names in this cast. You also talked about Dermot too, because and and I want to talk about him specifically. What was it like working with him? Because that dude in a movie like this, I feel like is just next level. It was amazing. Dermot's funny. There's something, again, I'm super, I'm very spiritual and I won't get into deep into it, but Dermot, it's almost like he read me, if that makes sense, before we even met. And I was like, huh? And he was like, oh yeah, that's what happened. I get what happened. I get it. I got it. Okay, what's up? I'm Dermot. I'm like, hi. <laughs> Did you just, are you psychic? What is happening? But also, I used to have such a crush on him when I was a kid watching my best friend's wedding. But obviously, I didn't say that. I was like, hi. I mean, I was just, <laughs> really, I was just really excited to be working with, you know, such talent and, you know, people I grew up watching. It was not going to lie. It was really cool. But it's fun because I don't know how much action, you know, for on Arrow for the last 10 years, and even before that, I mean, Taken, When a Stranger Calls, mm -hmm. uh, Emery on Elm Street, the la 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 Island, I could keep going, but I've done a lot of action. <laughs> so I'm used to squibs going off and I'm used to, I know like check the bear, like I, I'm just used to it, especially being on a TV show with so, so much action. So I could tell you was, you know, it was cool. Like it was almost like we got each other during, cause it's chaotic when you're mm -hmm. shooting and it's loud and it's freaky. And cause it sounds real and we're all like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. So it's almost like he and I had to be like, we got each other. Okay. Like I got you. You got me. Okay, great. In fact, huh, my tattoos say that. And then these are older, but there you know. yeah, he's dope. He's awesome. He's great to work with. And so was Mel and so was Annie and so was Aiden. And so was Grant and Tyler. I mean, honestly, it was a great group of people. No doubt about that. 
Let's get a little deep for a second, though, because this film lives in a really morally gray area quite a bit. So how do you think Miller actually views herself and what she's getting herself into, or at least what she thinks she's getting herself into? I don't think we know. I think that's yet to be revealed. I think we may not know Miller, who we think Miller is. I think there's more of the story. But again, I haven't seen it. So yeah, that's the second time how... now. That's the second time now that I was thinking the same exact thing before you even said it. So we're right oh, here. Oh, are we? Are right we on the same yes. color are your eyes? I'm derminating you right now. Oh, see? What color are your eyes? <laughs> Brown. Oh, okay. They were green. It was just going to be my drop on it. But it's like, <laughs> I accept you as my wife's eyes are, are green. So, beautiful. well, bluish green. Oh, maybe you're, it's through your wife. There you go. She's channeling from the other yep. room. Green eyes. <laughs> So before I let you go, we've talked we've talked about Arrow a couple times, and I couldn't help but think as I'm watching this because I can't not think about that when I'm watching something like this with you in it. If we could get a sequel, which hopefully we will, which one of your former Arrow castmates would you love to see come into this thing, come into this world as a new character? David Ramsey, yo. Oh yes. I love yes. David Motherfucking Ramsey. <laughs> Sorry, I am gonna go there because I do talk about just I love my people from Arrow. They're like family to me. Oh yeah. But like it's funny because David, when you're shooting, when we were shooting, I actually season one, I worked like two days an episode and we shot nine day weeks. And I was actually like, what was in Vancouver? I was like, I want to work. I want, when is my character getting to do something? And my character didn't really interact much with David's character season one, a little bit more season two, not till the end. So David and I weren't really that close, but like, cause our scenes weren't really together. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, like it's three years in and now my character's in the lair and I'm part of the, like the squat, like the in team. There. Yeah. Like Miller. I'm like, yeah. So the second season, and then I'm like, I, I mean, I just talk about an incredible human being, but people in general, like, when you're there all day, every day, then I was there regularly, their family, David Ramsey, he's like such a badass when it comes to action and martial arts. I mean, on set, we were doing jujitsu, like he comes from that world and uh, he's a really hard worker. He's also directing. I think he's doing his own show actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is. But he would totally gel well with us. Boy, I'd be scared if I saw David Ramsey walk into that group because who knows, who knows how that would go. That, oh my especially, you know, depending on which side he's on, you guys might be in trouble is all I'm saying. You, you, oh, yeah, you, don't, that's true. you, you don't want David Ramsey on, on your on the bad side of you for sure. But I mean, oh. there's so many great characters and actors that you'll see in Agent Game, which is coming not just in theaters, but on demand digital HD on April the 8th from Lionsgate and Saban Films. And she's just one of the wonderful people that you'll see in it. Katie Cassidy, thank you so much for taking the thank time today. So Appreciate much. it. It was great talking to you. Bye. Let's continue the conversation about Agent Game with the man who plays Kavinsky. It's Aiden Kanto on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Aiden, how you doing? I'm good, man. How you doing? Doing great, man. Doing great. Now, Aiden, there's so many twists and turns, like I said, in this movie. I mean, you had me looking over my shoulder when I was done watching this whole thing, trying to figure stuff out. So <laughs> what was it like for you when you first started reading these scripts? I just, you know, to be honest, I was I was quite surprised because it's not easy to to write something like this and to track it, you know, well enough to to make it engaging, compelling and interesting, you know, without losing yourself in it. And and also to understand that every 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 character in the story has their own voice and psychology as well, you know, as as a twisted plot line and all of that. I I was surprised, you know, pleasantly surprised and uh, just completely blown away that that uh, I was being I was being considered for this role. So, 
Yeah, it was a pleasure reading it, and I started visualizing every scene, you know, as soon as I started reading it. So that, that's a really good sign, you know, as soon as you start reading a script and you see it in your head, that's a great sign. That's definitely a great sign. As a matter of fact, Kavinsky, is, he's not your certain, certainly not your typical agency guy. So anybody going in fresh, how do you describe this guy? Well, you know, he's he's got a, a chip on his shoulder for sure. You know, he's a guy that's been trying to get in the agency for quite a while, tripping up. I think he's his, his worst enemy. He he's a bit anxious, you know, even though he 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 does have control over himself, his emotions get the best of him sometimes. And I was at, at least this is the kind of architecture I built for this guy. And and this really helped me settle into Kavinsky. And it seemed like it was right on the money with what Grant was envisioning, envisioning as well. You know, that gave me a pretty strong footing for Kavinsky. Just sort of to be in the in the very beginning, you know, not seeing a lot of hope for his future. Uh, and then having that quick turnaround after that meeting with, you know, with Mel Gibson's character. And all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we're back on the game again. Now, Aiden, even in the trailer, we could see that Kavinsky is part of a team. Now, talk about that team dynamic, because I loved it, between the three of them. And how was it working with Katie and Reese on this? I think it was great. I think it was, uh, again, you know, it, it, it works that the blueprint was, was immaculate. You know, the script was very well written, so we knew what we were getting into. And, and uh, another element that I thought was pretty uh, on the money was the casting situation. Because, you know, we, we kind of, all of us settled smack into, into our characters quite easily. The dynamic was, you know, we didn't even have to work hard at it to play that kind of ping pong game between each other you know katie and i i don't know it, it was also the fact that it was COVID, and we didn't have a lot of a lot of uh, opportunities to really engage with with each other off the set so we as soon as we arrived you know there were pleasantries and we would say hi and whatnot but then we'd get down to work and by that getting down to work it was basically our relationships were very similar to our characters so you know, sometimes we wouldn't even say good morning or how, how was your weekend or anything. It was just like straight into, you know, <laughs> who we were. And it was, it was, uh, I found it, you know, you, I, I'm used to, you know, being friendly with everybody and, and just, you know, getting along whenever there's time to do that. But with COVID and also, you know, it was, we, we kind of hit the ground running. We had to, we landed and we, we needed to start shooting quick and, and we were focused on the characters, on the story, the arc, and, and you know, we, our head was on in this world. And, uh, you know, Katie and I lived that kind of relationship, obviously, until the end of the film where we, you know, started saying hey, hi and goodbye, <laughs> things like that. And, and, you know, Reese, he's just such a cool dude, man. He's just excellent at improv. And, you know, we hit the ground running with improv and that was something I missed doing. I kind of started that way in this business and it was fun. It was fun to just go in there and see what happened with, with words and all. And, and yeah, I, I just had a blast with that guy too. No doubt, man. No doubt. Now, one of the things that I thought was interesting about Agent Game was that the film actually seems like it lives in this morally gray area a lot. Do you feel like that's part of the intrigue of the movie? Like as a viewer, being able to watch this and and have that mental conflict and making you wonder where that line is. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the order of business and you know our day to day life. You know, what 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 is our duty? What do we have to do? And what am I willing to give up to do it? And and the way they brought it into into this film is, and I think it's a great platform to do it. You know, the agents game, the CIA intelligence community, and all of that. And what do you do with the information you're given? What are you able to sacrifice in terms of your moral compass? You know, that, how, do, how do you tread that thin line? And ultimately, who are you becoming 
as you tread that line and, and as you make those sacrifices and, and face those costs in order to achieve what, what needs to be done. Absolutely. It seems like tr- trust issues too, Aiden, are a big part of this story. And for good reason, once people see the movie, they'll understand that. What is that balance like for Kavinsky to follow orders or follow his instincts? I, I honestly, the way I saw Kavinsky, he's a, he's an instinctual guy, 100%. I think that's why they chose him to lead the team in a way. Also, they chose him to lead the team in a way because they, they saw that he was uh, kind of vulnerable to his emotions as well. So it, it's this challenge between his emotions and, and, you know, can he follow his instincts to the best solution of this uh, uh, case that they have to, you know, resolve. And yeah, you know, I, I find a lot of similarities between Kavinsky and myself as well. And, you know, hopefully throughout the years, I've been able to polish that uh, emotional impulse. But, you know, it's still something that I keep an eye on day to day. But yeah, trust issues. I mean, I guess that's something that if you're in the intelligence community, that, that that's just something that you have to face every day. Everybody has a motive. Everybody has their uh, orders from up top. You don't know who's giving them. Why are they giving them? So it, it's certainly a, a spider web. Definitely an occupational hazard, that's for sure. We're talking to Aiden Canto, who, of course, plays Kavinsky on Agent Game, which will be out on April the 8th. Aiden, there's a lot of crazy action sequences in this film, man, especially in the latter stages. Did you all do any of your own stunts? And if you did, did you have any special training that you had to prepare? Because some of the stuff was nuts, man. Well, we, a, a, a lot of us did. A lot of us did. There was only a couple instances, you know, where it was a massive explosion and, and just jumping in the air or something like that. But a lot of us actually did. And I think it was just a lot of previous experiences with fighting or combat, you know, that, that certainly served yeah, uh, the moment right on the spot. And, uh, yeah, I was able to. I actually want to give a shout out to John Lovell from Warrior Poet Society. He uh, he he lives in in Georgia, and he uh, we're friends. And I, I went out to his farm, and and he kind of polished me in terms of, you know, what, what was the protocol with with not not just combat, but just the handling of of of, of weapons and tactical training and all of these sort of things. And I was able to to visit with him down there just to polish a little bit, just be, you know, right before hitting the set and making sure I was doing everything up to par. I, I know that the, you know, military community and, and, and all those good friends of ours, they're, they're, you know, you don't want to turn them down. You don't want to disappoint them whenever you're doing a film like this. You want to be sure to, you know, hit every square. Absolutely. You you quickly brushed on your, your scene with Mel Gibson's character, Olsen, and certainly seems like he's the straw that kind of stirs the drink and behind the scenes sort of thing. I know it was just a short scene with him, but what was it like being able to work with Mel? Oh, fantastic. Are you kidding me? It's like, I mean, it's a very strange thing because, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, I didn't know I was going to be an actor. I had no idea that it was an achievable thing. And I grew up watching his films, you know all of his films. And, and to me, uh, from a small town, growing up in a small town, you know, North Mexico, you know, South Texas, border town, it's just, a, you know, it, it's, uh, he, he becomes some sort of a image of an idea more than an individual, you know, obviously through the years working in this business, uh, that changes and you, you know, I, I'm able to, you know, work and, you know, keep a head straight. This is my character. This is my job. This is what we do. And, and you see everybody as individuals, as professionals delivering, you know, whatever you have to do for the job. But, uh, but I mean, it, it's just, it's certainly, uh, um, I guess, a bucket list, you know, to work with an icon like that, like Mel Gibson, not just as, as an actor, but as a visionary for, 
the kind of, of films he's 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 uh, you know produced and and, and directed. It's just, he's he's just an exceptional artist and uh, a great human being. I really enjoyed working with him. Aid, before I let you go, no spoilers here, of course. But if you got a chance to play Kavinsky again, and there's more of this story to tell, how excited would would you be for the opportunity to do that? Oh, I think it'd be great, man. You know, I think it's uh, one of the things that I missed uh, watching this film because, you know, you, you could see in their behavior where they were coming from, why they are who they are and all of this. But I kind of want to see that, you know, I, I, w- I want to see Reese's character flipping burgers, you know, or something like that. And, and uh, Kavinsky, you know, failure after failure is <laughs> like working as a bodyguard or a, I don't know, at a club of a bouncer somewhere, uh, you know. I, I kind of, I, I think it'd be interesting to see them in their personal lives. And I think that we all have that baggage really well settled in our minds, you know, how to how, how to deliver that, you know, in a potential sequel. Absolutely. And you guys can see where it all begins. Agent Game is available on digital HD, on demand in theaters from Saban Films and Lionsgate on April the 8th. We're also going to keep our fingers crossed for season two of The Cleaning Lady while we're at it for this guy, too. It's Aiden Kanto. Thank you so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Cheers. And I think one of the things that Aiden really hit the nail on the head on was the casting in this movie. That's one of the things that made this as good as it was. And it's just one of those action movies where you're not sure who to trust and who's going to turn on who and, you know, who's going to make it out alive sort of thing. And it was just a fun watch. So whether you're seeing it in theaters, on demand, or on digital HD, make sure you're watching Agent Game from Lionsgate and Saban Films. Again, thanks to Katie Cassidy and Aiden Kanto for joining me to talk about Agent Game. Up next, let's talk to Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti about what's going on with Young Justice Phantoms. I'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Young Justice Phantoms has been telling an incredible story of Atlantis in this second half of its, I guess you can call it the fourth season of Young Justice since its return. And just everything that's been going on, I thought it'd be great to get a chance to catch up with writers and executive producers, Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti, about what's been going on this season. So let's see how much they'll tease for us. Spoiler free, of course. Greg, Brandon, how you guys doing? Good, Thank how are you? you? All right, we're going to jump right in here. There was a time when you guys weren't even sure this show would return at all. Now here we are, second half of Phantoms. How amazing has it been to be able to continue this story to the point you're at right now? Totally amazing. Yeah, and sometimes surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, we did, I think in all seriousness, you know, pinch ourselves a lot through the creation of the series. I mean, throughout the fourth season in particular, we 
always had a lot of ideas, but you know, you don't always know if you're going to get the opportunity to do it and couldn't have been happier to, to get the time to explore our characters a, a little bit more and also trying to challenge ourselves and try to find uh, new and interesting ways to, to explore our characters. I think that's the, the fun part for us is that that creative challenge of like, how can we tell this story different than we've done before? And I think we're definitely seeing that because we're seeing a lot of our favorite characters grieving right now, guys, after what happened with Connor. I want to start with with Calderon, though, because it seems like he just seems to be pushing through it. I know he's got a lot on his plate right now, but could this be affecting him in ways more than he realizes? Definitely. I mean, we think it is. There's a moment, for example, when they're in Zebel, there's a riot going on, guards are everywhere, and they're digging a hole. It's hard to dig a hole quietly. And Wind sort of says, shouldn't one of us be on lookout? And Calder's like, Let, let's, let's just finish digging the hole. Let's just, it, it's faster if we all work together to dig the hole. And of course, you know, the guards are right around the corner. And if Delphi's hadn't been there, they would have gotten caught. Might not have stopped them, but the whole point was to go down there with no one knowing. And I think if Calder was fully present and not feeling half broken, that's a mistake he would not have made. I mean, we know Calder well enough at this point to know that he's smarter than that, frankly. He's a better leader than that. He's a better strategist than that. But he's in pain. And he is, yeah, uh, you know, he is marching through the pain, but there's a consequence to that. And that plays out throughout the arc, but in particular in the last couple episodes of it. You want to talk about pain. I think we need to talk about Gar, if that's the case, because his story's just been so painful to watch in these last few episodes. How hard's it been for you guys to take such a vibrant character to that place? And how important was it to bring out that realistic portrayal of grief and, quite frankly, addiction? Very important to pick this properly. We often say that we find our stories through the characters. The characters often kind of tell us where they need to go and inform the stories that we're going to write about them. And looking back on Beast Boy's past, Garfield's you know family life, home life, all of the story that we've created for him through the course of our show. And then with coupled with the events of what happens in season three and of course season four as well, we knew that we needed to kind of give him pause to, to deal with everything that had been going on. So we, we did reach out to people that are knowledgeable, have expertise in dealing with you know trauma and could help us in, in how we depict Garfield's story, how we depict the, the symptoms of trauma, of grief, and how that might bubble up out of his personality, how that might affect his relationships, how those around him would view his behavior, possibly misinterpret his behavior. So we, we really wanted to get into the full range of, of depicting all of the aspects of dealing with grief, how, how that affects not just the, the person, but their family, their friends around them, show the best practices in dealing with it, but also show the worst practices in dealing with it. Because I think it, at the heart of our show, we're always trying to tell realistic stories about our characters as they learn and grow. And you know we're also trying to maybe inform the audience about some of these issues as well, and maybe hopefully show them something about the, their lives around them that they're, maybe they're not tuned into just yet. And, but maybe they'll see that through how our characters are depicted, through how our characters are traveling through their stories, working through their personal issues with their friends, with their family. 
And if that can resonate with our audience and our audience can find some something real in that, that helps them, that's important to us. And that's why it was so important for us to really do our homework, really reach out, find the right people that could help us tell the story properly, accurately, because we knew it was so important. You've got some wonderful also, actors as well. I, I wanted I wanted to talk about their performance and talk about Megan and Gar and that scene with them together. I don't want to drop any spoilers or anything, but what was it like putting that together and the resulting performance from Greg and Danica? Because I mean, that, that gave me chill bumps. That was amazing. Our cast is phenomenal and in particular, the second half of the season, you know, was recorded during the pandemic. Often Danica playing Miss Martian, playing Megan, was recording, I'm not kidding, from her son's bunk bed with sheets. You know, she's on the lower bunk with sheets hung down because she doesn't have a recording studio at home, you know. And so she's recording in this makeshift studio, which is the lower bunk of her son's bunk beds. And everyone is recording by themselves. I really want to give credit to Jamie Thomason, our voice director. Not that he isn't always great, but his ability to put together these performances, because normally we'd record the, those two together. Pre-pandemic, Greg and Danica would have been in the same room and would have been able to listen to each other and hear each other. And that's just not, wasn't doable, certainly not at that stage in the early on in the pandemic. And so it's about Jamie having to really internalize not just the script, but the performance of the script. And I honestly don't remember who recorded first. It's too long ago now, but one of the two had to record that scene first. And Jamie has to remember how that scene played out so that he can direct whoever recorded second. And that created additional challenges that we normally wouldn't have to face. And yet, as you noted, that scene slays you and you never know they weren't together when they recorded it. And so obviously I want to just give props to Greg and to Danica, but also really to Jamie for above and beyond sort of the call of duty. I mean, he's always a great director. Obviously I've worked with him for 25 years plus now, but I think, you know, what he had to pull together during the pandemic was just a whole other level. For a scene like that, yeah, props to props to Jamie as well, for sure. I want to switch gears and talk about what's going on with the Atlanteans. You mean, I want to talk about the decision to bring Arian in because I really feel like that really took an already great story to another level. So talk about what the, the decision of bringing him in. Well, I mean, I think, you know, we wanted to not only tell a, a more deeper story about Calder and his home life in, in Atlantis, but Atlantis itself. And of course, we kind of started that thread in the last arc of the first part of our fourth season, our third arc, our Zatanna arc, which is magical. And, and really, we got to see the origin of Atlantis there and, and meet Arian. I understand his importance. And then, of course, fast forward into our Atlantis arc with Calder and, and, you know, have all of that history sort of resonate as he is having his story within Atlantis. I think that for us, it helps build the character of, of the location. It's something we've been dying to do for a long time. We, we'd only seen Atlantis uh, just here and there, not often in our, in our last seasons and our previous seasons. And so it was a big goal of ours to get back there, spend some time there, make a character of the place, get into the culture, the history, and the show politics. And the politics, yes, of course, and how our 
core characters get wrapped up in that Calder and see how he bounces off of all of that, how his entanglement in that affects him. And then of course it it all ties in as well with a, a larger plot from <laughs> from our big bads, of course. It does all tie together, and I do love that. That was Brandon Vietti, of course, talking to Greg Weissman as well from Young Justice Phantoms, which you can see every Thursday on HBO Max. Guys, we talked about Del- you talked about Delphi's really quickly early on, and I love the addition of her to the group. She's already becoming one of my favorite characters on the show. Her character does seem to, to, to have evolved very quickly. So could we see her actually play a bigger role going forward? Yeah, I mean, as Brandon said, you know, our characters kind of tell us where they want to go next. And I think, you know, Delphi is this young woman from Mumbai who, without revealing the details, clearly had a really horrible life and went through this traumatic experience that's wound up benefiting her. She She wound up despite Clarion's better efforts with a good group of people, which is Calder and Calder's parents and now Calder and Wind. And what we're seeing is her blossom. So you see, you know, she visits Poseidonus in the first episode of the arc, but she's living in Shieris with Calder's parents. And then by a month later in the second episode of the arc, she's helping people who were left homeless by Ocean Master's attack previously. And I I think it's a very telling line that she has when she says she's being thanked for helping. And and she says, I don't think you realize how good I'm paraphrasing, but how good it makes me feel to be the one helping as opposed to the one who needs the help because her history was the reverse, you know, and then by the third episode, she wants to come on the adventure. You know, it's not just about, you know, people are constantly saying, Okay, you stay here, you know, in the second episode, the third episode, you know, stay back. You're not trained for this. And she's like, screw that. I'm going along. You know? <laughs> and she, so what we've seen with her that I kind of love, and, and again, I really want to give credit to Tia Sirkar, who plays Delphi's, because she brings so much life to that character. We've really seen this character blossom in a way that we don't often get to see, even on our show. So, you know, where she goes in the episode that premieres tomorrow and then where she goes from there down the road is, I think, a big open question that I think Brandon and I would both be really excited to explore, given the opportunity. Speaking of questions, I'm not sure fans are ready for what's coming up with Orm's story, quite frankly, and what's about to happen. Have you guys seen any fan theories out there? Because I know Young Justice fans love to debate the show and, and come up with their theories. And did anybody nail it? Uh, my, uh, I'll be honest. My son yeah, did. I, did he? Okay. Oh, your son did. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't read too many theories, so I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a couple things there. I, I saw someone nail something and then take it back and decide they were wrong. And I thought, <laughs> well, that's interesting. You got it right, and then you change your mind. Um, so you know, here and there, I think most people throughout theories, but are also pretty good about, hey, let's go along for the ride. But yeah, I mean, my son and daughter are very well trained at at least at interpreting the works of Craig Weissman and Brandon Vietti. <laughs> so uh, they both pretty much have it figured out. Hey, I just um, need to that your kids are paying attention. Because... I, I can't get my kids to pay attention to me about anything. Your kids are actually paying attention. That's great. 
Yeah, they also <laughs> cheated a little because they have spotty knowledge of the whole season because oh, at the very is. beginning of the pandemic, before we'd figured out even how to record people from home, we needed scratch tracks for some of the episodes. So I recruited, uh, you know, Brandon and I and our editor, Chris Mertens and Jamie Thomason and our talent coordinator, Laura Lopez, and my wife and kids were all scratching temp dialogue for all the characters. And I would only show my kids the dialogue they had to read. So they didn't get to read entire scripts or anything like that, but they do have spotty knowledge of a line of dialogue here or a line of dialogue there. So they're kind of cheating, but they do. They're very good at guessing. Piecing the puzzle together. I love it. Before I let you guys go, I, I, I can't leave without talking about Connor, what's going on with him. And there, of course, it seems like there's still hope for him. And you all even added a time travel element into the mix. So could we see the focus shift more towards that story in upcoming in a few upcoming episodes? We could. Well, we, we don't, yeah, we don't like to spoil <laughs> anything, but we, we're, we're also you know not going to just drop that storyline off cold or anything either. So there's certainly more for fans to look forward to there. I think it's a, uh, we, we really did build, a, I think, an unexpected journey for Connor that I think people will find pretty rewarding and, and take our show to places we've never been before. I think that that was a big goal of ours just for the fourth season in general. I mean, every season, we're always trying to top ourselves and figure out what new thing can we do? Where can we go that we haven't been yet? And I think our fourth season is going to take our audience to some really interesting new places. And, and I keep saying this too, the scale is pretty epic. And that's a hard thing to do. We've done some pretty big scale stories this season in particular, but I think we we continue to top ourselves as we go into the, the final episodes of our fourth season. This is one ride you're definitely going to want to stay on to. Young Justice Phantoms continues on HBO Max. New episodes dropping every Thursday. Greg Weissman, Brandon Vitti, guys, thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And if you've seen it, you know, if you haven't seen it, you need to catch up on Young Justice Phantoms on HBO Max. Brand new episodes, of course, streaming every Thursday. It's just been the last couple arcs, especially, have just been so compelling of Young Justice Phantoms and the way that they're able to balance all of these different characters and make them all matter and give them all their spotlight, it seems like, is just one of the most incredible things about Young Justice Phantoms. And this show is fearless in its storytelling. That's one of the reasons that I keep coming back. I know that's one of the reasons that you watch the show as well. So I don't need to tell you to watch Young Justice. You're probably already doing it. Make sure you're watching the final episodes of Season 4 of Young Justice Phantoms, now streaming on HBO Max. Again, thanks to Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti for joining me to talk about some Young Justice this week. Up next, going to talk to Edmund McMillan. You know him as the creator of The Binding of Isaac. And guess what? There's a new subscription service that they've got going about the game. Let's learn more about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Chad Michael Collins from Extinct and Sony Sniper Franchise. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So if you're a gamer or you're even kind of indie ga- into indie games at all, there's chances are you've played The Binding of Isaac or some iteration of it over the last several years. And this guy is the reason for that. There's something really exciting that we're going to be talking about coming inside that realm. It's Edmund McMillan. Edmund, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. So, Edmund, it's... T- like just past the 10 year anniversary of the binding of Isaac, which is crazy. And fans are not just wanting more Edmund. They're clamoring for it. They're beating your door down. They have to have more binding of Isaac. What is it about this game that stood the test of time like this? I don't know. 
<laughs> and if you don't know, how are we going to know? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. There are probably many possible reasons. I'd like. I'd like to think. What I'd like to believe is that it is so unique that it just stands out so much to people and makes it feel like a more of like a personal thing. Like it, it still has a lot of you know almost mainstream appeal, but it's still like niche enough to feel really special to a, a small group of people who are diehards. There's just a lot of really diehard fans. And I think that that kind of indie or almost midnight movie-esque quality to it makes it feel like it's a counterculture <laughs> weirdo type game that is unique um, in, in every aspect. It's it's weird this, like, but anyways, it came out 10 years ago and there's been a million different games that have been inspired and reference the game and many successful ones that basically take the exact formula and, and reapply it in a different wrapping. But for whatever reason, those don't have the lasting power that Isaac does. And the only thing that I can see outside of some technical things design wise is the fact that Isaac is simply very standout and unique. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Like I've still never seen anything that came close to something like, like this when it comes to the themes, you know, the visuals, the the design and the story, as well as just general theme of gameplay and repetition and the how massive and <laughs> how huge the game actually is once you get going in it. But yeah, it's speaking to a lot of people and I think that's fantastic. And I I just I think at this point I don't question it and just accept the fact that for whatever reason people dig it. Now, you talked about the diehards, so this is going to be very exciting from the the unboxing of Isaac Eagle's subscription service. It's going to be coming up here with a whole bunch of cool stuff. Very exciting. So why was now the right time to do a project like this? Because it's impossible <laughs> to get like mass shipping stuff from way overseas and get it here. So this is something that we wanted to do. The stars kind of aligned. This is something that I personally always wanted to do. And every time we would do a Kickstarter, I would be like, I want to do a bunch of shirts, but it was always kind of like the last thing we do and something that was just like, okay, well, we'll, we'll tack that on like a poster or whatever else, like mm -hmm. an extra merchandise, whatever. But I want to do like really good quality, artistic, bold t-shirts that other fans of Isaac will, will see the shirt and they'll be like, holy shit, that's a Binding of Isaac shirt. I totally understand that. And other people who have no idea what it is will be like, that is a cool shirt. And that's all that matters. So I wanted to do something like that. And it, and it took some extra time because I really wanted to pick, to cherry pick the perfect artists for these shirts and come up with really cool designs for them. It's it's weird because the subscription box thing almost sounds like a, a bad word at times. Like sometimes when people talk about subscription boxes or blind boxes or anything like that, there's like negative connotations that go with mm -hmm. it. And that was something going in, I wanted to make sure, like, let me know. Like when I say, hey, subscription box, people are like, Ooh! and I was like, why? But what about that is scary to you? And they gave me the list. It's like, well, I don't want to sign up for something. And then when there's a shirt that I don't like, I don't want it to, I want to be able to give it to a friend, you know, or I just don't want the shirt. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, how about we do a subscription box for the dedicated fans that can get them all? but we allow you month to month to change your size of their shirt. So if you know somebody else who would want it and you don't really want it, maybe it goes to them. Or if you don't want that shirt at all, you don't even sign up for it. And we just do the month to month thing. And we just sell the individual boxes for more 
and then you don't have access to the one exclusive box. So I just wanted to try to make sure that like we fill those 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 gaps essentially. And I understand the problems in a lot of especially even t-shirt subscription boxes and, and blind boxes and stuff like that because I have a daughter and she has a <laughs> signed up for a thousand little weird boxes and oh, sometimes yeah. they are like the biggest whiff miss ever. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know I I know going in how how all this stuff works and I know the shortcomings of stuff like this and I I feel like we've really filled those holes and it's pretty foolproof when it comes to what we're offering because you know if you don't want it you don't have to get it at all and if you just want one shirt out of the 12 shirts that we do that's totally fine as well and you can grab that shirt but yeah and then it's also just packing in extras and doing as much fanfare as possible we're we're, we're doing like a merge between binding of isaac general and binding of isaac four souls so there's going to be exclusive mm-hmm. cards that are on theme with each of the month to month boxes we're going to do stickers maybe some wild card extras in the box as much fanfare as possible but i think people are going to be really impressed by uh, how cool these shirts are now talk about the designs for a second you talking you talked about how you wanted to find just the right artist and this is this is your at the end of the day this is your baby so you got to cherry pick the moments that you that, yeah. that you think are the biggest and, and things like that and things that niche fans are really really going to dig so what was that process like coming up with not just the just the right artist but coming up with the design that fit that artist to be able to bring it to life the way you guys wanted to. Well, the cool thing about the last Kickstarter was I did alternate art cards. And in doing those cards, I got to reach out to a bunch of artists, not, not just like my peers, but like my heroes. <laughs> like I got, I got, I got, I contacted Sam Keith who made the max and he did a card. I, I contact Tom Bunk, Garbage Pail Kids, Mad Magazine artist, mm-hmm. one of my favorites. He did art for a card and he did a t-shirt and it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I think for me, it was just kind of going through those people and picking my favorites and being like, hey, are you open for this? T-? You know, everybody was open and they were all about it. And then also there's a handful of a handful of artists that are just huge fans and have have submitted like work to me. I've retweeted their art or whatever else. And there's certain there's a few that had such crazy styles that I was like, I'm just going to ping them and see if, if if they're interested, because I'm pretty sure the designs they come up with are going to be really amazing. And then to just kind of round it out, Alex Pardee is, is one of the artists involved. And I actually asked him, do you know anybody who can do like a real sugary, <laughs> like girly, totally femme shirt, like over the top. And he recommended somebody, I won't spoil it yet, but, and, and it turned out right. Really, really nice. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like hit, hit all these areas. And I feel like the artists are like, they go from total sugar plum fairy to death metal cannibal corpse <laughs> t-shirt cover art. <laughs> so yeah, it's cool. It's one of those things. Like I usually go, my rule of thumb is when I'm doing anything. And if I'm really enjoying it, I know that a select group of people will also enjoy it just as much mm-hmm. as me. So yeah, I feel like if I'm down with it and then people are going to be real down with it. No doubt about that. Edwin, before I let you go, I'm, we're going to throw this up on social media too, but I want you to tell, be able to tell fans as well, where can they go to subscribe? And you talked about some of the options, get into that again. What are some of the options that fans can choose as well? Yeah, I, uh, well, either way, if you follow me on Twitter, you're going to get that information. If you follow any of the Facebook binding of Isaac stuff you're going to also get the information there as well just follow him on social media you can follow you already follow us on social media follow him on social media as well and the binding of isaac stuff and we'll we'll find we'll get you there one way or another so you can subscribe either if, <laughs> if, you, if you just want the box if you want the monthly thing there's a yearly sign up but you got to do that by the end of april so if you want the whole year you got to do that by the you'll end have of about april. yeah you'll have about a month five days less to to sign up for the fulls and that's that's what you're yeah the other question mm-hmm. so you'll be able to sign up for the whole thing and get a discount on every box and you'll get one box for free so it's like a five dollar discount 
on each box. And then you'll also have access to the 13th mystery box, which will feature art by me. It's, I think it's the only box that is where I did the art. And you can also do month, month to month, pick and choose. It'll be five bucks more. Uh, you won't have access to the crazy shirt, but you'll still get everything else everybody else gets in that monthly box. Or you can sign up, like I said, and then change your order as it goes. You'll have a month each each month. You'll be able to go back in and then be like, no, you know, my wife would love this shirt. So I'm going to change the size to this and then then it'll be shipped to you. And then you can go back in and change it for the next month. And I mean, I'll be promoting these things on the first of each month, every month for the next 12 months. I'll do like a little stream and show off the contents of the box. I don't want to I don't want it to feel like a blind box month to month. I want to show you what you're getting. So, you know, because the last thing I want to do is disappoint anybody, but I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed. So I think it's going to be fine. No, I don't think you're running any risk there, but as a matter of fact, you just gave us a great tease for wanting to get the yearly subscription. So if you want to do that, make sure you're doing that by the end of April for the unboxing of Isaac. And if you're a Binding of Isaac fan, you, you just got to have this in some capacity. Edmund McMillan, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that's one of the best things about the unboxing of Isaac to me is the transparency. Yes, you might be a diehard fan, but maybe there's a shirt that you don't think you're going to dig. So he gives you the option to be able to, you know, change the size or just not get that shirt. But I think if you're a huge Binding of Isaac fan, you're going to want to get the yearly subscription of the unboxing of Isaac. As a matter of fact, it's the unboxing of Isaac.com is where you can go to sign up for that from Edmund McMillan. And of course, Maestro Media, who's going to be a part of this as well. Again, thanks to Edmund McMillan for joining me to talk about the unboxing of Isaac and just so many great things about the Binding of Isaac game as well. Up next, going to learn about a new show on the CW. Asif Manvi is going to be joining me to talk about that next. I'm James Witham and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Allison Aria from DC's Peacemaker and you're listening to Down and Nerdy. If you're looking for a fun way to have a few laughs with the family this weekend, Would I Lie to You is premiering on the CW this Saturday night, it's actually based on the British series of the same name. It's a really fun game show, actually hosted by Asif Mondi, who you might remember from The Daily Show. He's on the show Evil on CBS as well. It's all about the art of the lie. It's just there's so many great guest stars. It's such a fun game that you're definitely going to want to be playing along with. And I get a chance to have to have a roundtable discussion with Asif Mondi and a couple Mondi and a couple of other journalists as well. The first question that was asked of him actually was how familiar was he with the original British series. I was very familiar with the original series. In fact, I was addicted to the original series and that's why I wanted to do this one. My wife and I just ended up watching it, like, I think it was like in 2019, we discovered it, maybe 2018, 2019. And I found it on BritBox and I just started watching it. And you know, they got 14 seasons of the British one. So there was just a lot of material there. And so we would just watch it at night as a way to just decompress. And then, you know, we had a kid and there was a pandemic. So we just used this as a way to just kind of like, just chill and laugh. And then in 2019, I had brought it as just in a conversation with Robert King, who I was working with on Evil. And I just said, there's this amazing show. And when I watch it and we just, it's a way for us to deal manage our stress and anxiety about the world and i was like you should watch it and so he did and then he came back to me next time i saw him and said i love that show i'm addicted to it i watch it all the time why are we not doing an american one and i was like why not and and literally that's where it started and then we just decided like 
wouldn't it be great to, to make an American version of it? And, and I'm amazed that we did because most of the time when those conversations happen, it never happens. The fact that it actually happened is kind of remarkable, but I'm so glad it did. There's some great celebrity guest stars on this show. One of the questions that was asked of Asif was if having improv skills was kind of pre- of a prerequisite or how'd they go about choosing who was on the show? No, we don't look for improv background. We just, we just really, honestly, it was just about finding people who we thought were funny and or, or interesting or just good storytellers. You know, you don't have to have, we have Preet Bharara as one of the guests on the show. He has no improv background, you know, but he's a great storyteller. And that's what we really wanted. You know, there are people, there are obviously comedians and there are actors, but then we also have people who are not in, not in entertainment or they're writers or, you know, they're not performers. So it really is just about people who can tell a good and make it believable because the strategy of the show often is you're trying to convince somebody that you're telling a lie if you're telling the truth and then vice versa. So often it's, you know, there's an le- element of like trying to, pretend that you're lying through a, a story that might actually be be true. So you throw the other team off. So it wasn't, it wasn't about improv really. So when I had an early look at the show, one of my favorite guests that I saw was Richard Kind, who's a fantastic actor and comedian. So one of the other journalists had to ask Asif about who his favorite guest was. He talks about Richard, but some other really good ones as well. I mean, Richard obviously was tremendous and that, and that repurposed wood joke. It was what I'm mad about is that I was about to make the same joke and he jumped and he and he and he beat me to the punch. And I was like, ah, you know, because I think we were all thinking the same thing, you know, like, but Richard was great. Like Chris Gethard was terrific. He was a comedian uh, that, you know, that we all know. And, um, you know, there are also people who are on the show who were uh, Jordan Klepper, John Hodgman, my old Daily Show guys. They were amazing on the show. Kurt Fuller was really fun on the show, you know, and then surprising people like Becky Ann Baker, who, who was an actor, who was an actress who came on the show and killed it. Like it was so funny. And then there were people who you didn't expect to be as good as they were like Isaac Matrahi, you know, we, but it's not his world. He's not a performer in that way, even though he's a performer in some, some fashion, but um, boom. Preet Bharara was another one who was, was just really animated and fun and, and great. So sometimes it was like you were surprised by who, who you know, there were people that you ex- expected to be for like Richard Kind, he was one of the first people that we wanted on the show. We knew we were gonna knock it out of the park with Richard, you know, but then there were people that came on that we were like, oh, okay, I didn't expect that, you know. Brooke Shields really had a great story about how she uh, babysat lemurs when she was a teenager. And you're just like, where are you going to hear that story? No, you're not going to hear that story anywhere unless you go to a party where Brooke Shields happens to be, you know, which most of us aren't doing. There are some great guest stars on What I Lied to You from the CW, but there's also some good hosts as well. So when I get a chance to ask Asif Mambi a question, that was mine. There's been a lot of talk about the guest stars and, and rightfully so, but you've also got some great team captains too. I want yeah. to talk about Matt and Sabrina a little bit and what they bring to the show. Matt and Sabrina are so great. And, and you know, we were so lucky and to get Matt Walsh. To, first of all, he was the first person that came on after me. And we knew we wanted a man and a woman and we knew we wanted it to be diverse and we wanted to have diversity in the guests and in the team captain. So we reached out to Matt. He said, yes. And, and, we were so excited to have him. And then I didn't know Sabrina's. I mean, I knew Matt's work because I'd watched him for years and 
he was an ex Daily Show guy and then Veep and everything. Sabrina, I didn't know, and I only met her once at the upfronts when we were when she was on Carol's second act, and we had it was our first season of Evil, and it was their first season of Carol's second act on CBS. But I, then I watched her stand up, and I thought she was great and really funny, and has such a distinct personality and a distinct sort of vibe that she brings. And her and Matt are great because they're so different and so opposite. Like she's, you know, she's like a zinger. Like she's a, she doesn't hold back, you know. And 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 she wears all of it out front. Whereas Matt is like Midwestern guy, kind of a little bit more reserved, but he's really funny and and gets exacerbated sometimes. You know, so he's sort of more the David Mitchell type and she's more the Lee Mack. And sometimes Matt, who's who's kind of, his energy is 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 much calmer, but then we'll get irate about certain things that just don't make sense, you know? And that was great to see. And so uh, they brought a nice, a nice dynamic, the two of them. We were really lucky to get them. And I'll be honest, going in, this is one of those shows that I was definitely skeptical about. And I'm like, ah, do I want to talk about this or not? Then I get a chance to see the show. I mean, I already, I already liked... Asif Manvi's work anyway, but then I got to see the show and the more I laughed out loud and the more it was like the art of the lie and storytelling and things like that. And I'm like, this is definitely something that I want to talk about. And then I wanted to bring to you. And I think that you'll enjoy the guests, but I think just as much, if not more, you're going to enjoy playing the game yourself, trying to figure out if, if stuff is a lie, just enjoying these funny stories. And I think that the escapism that Asif was talking about earlier and just kind of decompressing, that's one of the reasons you need to watch this show too because it absolutely helps you out with that. Would I Lie to You premieres on Saturday, April the 9th at 8.30 Eastern on The CW. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to all my amazing guests for coming on the show this week. Speaking of podcasts, we have a brand new podcast as well. It's Comics Man. If you haven't listened to that yet, the first episode is now available. I'm posting links up on social media and things like that. Make sure you're following that show at It's Comics Man. Also have a new show about collectibles. It's going to be starting this week at Mission Collect. Make sure you're following there as well. And you can find out all this information and all the stuff that we've got going on too at downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.